0: great to be with you here this morning and uh, be able to open God's Word with you. You know, over the last several weeks, we have been learning that there is no one greater, no one more powerful, no one more capable than who? Than Jesus Christ. All authority is rightly His, from the smallest to the greatest of power. It's His, all of it. And our response is, to the one who has all authority, is to worship Him, to make much of Him. You know, over the last several weeks, we have seen Jesus' authority to teach and command, His authority to forgive sins, His authority to build His church, His authority to entrust power to others, His authority to control the elements, the weather, the wind, the waves, the seas... Jesus has all authority. Not all authority over some things, but all authority over everything. Are you beginning to sense, beginning to understand that Jesus has all authority? You see, today, we're going to also look at Jesus' authority to heal. His authority and his power over sickness and death. His authority over what happens to us physically. All authority over all things in this world. Today we're going to look at two very powerful examples of Jesus' authority over sickness and death. And as we consider these two examples, we need to be reminded that these are pictures. They're examples. They're pictures of God's full and complete authority and power over the physical. It's a picture of what Jesus can do And his power and his authority to heal disease, to heal sickness, his power and authority over death, it's not a picture of a promise of what Jesus will do in any of our situations, but what he can do when it comes to sickness, disease, suffering, and death. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 as we consider Two very powerful stories. We will first be introduced to a a Roman centurion who reaches out to Jesus for help because a servant, a slave of his, was seriously ill and and close to death, and Jesus heals this slave, this servant. And then we're going to see a second example of how Jesus interrupts a funeral procession and he raises the son of a widow from the dead. And so let's walk through the first story as we learn about Jesus' authority and power over sickness and disease and and how we should respond and come to him with our problems, with our struggles. And that's our first point. Come to Jesus with your struggles. Come to Jesus with your struggles. Notice verse 1 of Luke chapter 7. It says, After he, that is Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Well, now you might ask the question, you know, what sayings is Luke referring to here? Well, back in chapter 6, we see Jesus delivering his very familiar Sermon on the Mount where he's been teaching hundreds about what a true child of God values, does, and is. We're all familiar with that Sermon on the Mount. It's powerful. And all these people had gathered because Jesus had been teaching with remarkable authority, with remarkable power, and he was healing many, maybe even hundreds of people If you look back to Luke chapter 6 verses 17 and 18, it says there that with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, were healed. Powerful example of what's been going on in the life of Jesus. The one who has all authority, all power over all things. And we have an example here of power over sickness and disease and demonic oppression and possession. I love that the word was spreading about Jesus through this region. Throughout the whole region and hundreds and maybe even thousands of people were were following after Jesus because of what was going on. Everywhere he went, because he was healing those with diseases and bringing relief from the demonic oppression and possession. And so then we read in Luke chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, we read there, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. You know, we don't know much about this Roman centurion. A Roman centurion was an officer in the Roman army responsible to keep peace and order in various towns and communities and regions. Centurions usually had authority over as many as a hundred soldiers. And so these Roman centurions, they were smart, they were talented, they were men of courage and committed to the Roman government. Without question, this unnamed Roman soldier was stationed in Capernaum with a population of anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000, as we've understood that small community. We've learned that Capernaum had become Jesus' base of operations, a place where he had previously been teaching and had been performing a number of other healings earlier, as we've heard in some of the previous messages Well, this uh, Roman soldier, this centurion, was not your average soldier, as we will see in just a moment. There's something unique about him, something different about this Roman centurion. This man had a servant. He had a slave that was sick and about to die. If we go back to Matthew chapter 8, a parallel passage, we would read there that the servant was paralyzed and suffering terribly, we're told. But this Roman soldier, this centurion, it says he highly valued his slave. What's interesting here is that servants and slaves were were usually treated like property in that that time. In the Roman culture, they they were just really objects that could be discarded and done away with when they became useless, when they became old or, or had lost any sense of value or helpfulness to the owner. They were simply cast aside and and discarded as worthless and left to die. But there was something different about this Roman centurion. He seemed to care. He seemed to care deeply about those around him, and even this slave of his. But with all of his influence, with all of his power, with all of his connections, with all of his authority... This Roman centurion wasn't able to help his slave. Wasn't able to do anything for him. He was stuck. So what was he going to do? Well, Capernaum wasn't that big of a city, and it's about the size of maybe Tremont. And and I'm sure rumors had spread fast, as they oftentimes do in small towns. If you live in a small town, it seems like everybody may know your business whether you like it or not. But the rumors had spread, and I'm sure that this Roman centurion had heard about Jesus having performed these incredible miracles of, of healing. Jesus was known to have been teaching with authority and healing. So many from their diseases, and demonic oppression, while earlier in Capernaum. And it was at the synagogue. And so as the Jewish elders who heard or seen the healings earlier as they had witnessed these maybe firsthand, and as word had gotten back to the Roman centurion about this this Jewish teacher out there who seemed to do miraculous things. When word got back, the Roman centurion asked these Jewish leaders to go and inquire of Jesus. And so what I find fascinating here is that this Roman centurion, in faith, in hope, He was stuck and didn't have any other option available to him. He reached out to Jesus in hopes to have his servant healed. So here's the question When we find ourselves struggling with something that's beyond our ability to solve, as was the case with this Roman soldier, when we come to a place when we're beyond our ability to fix or manage or figure something out, what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we turn? There are some who would turn to Dr. Phil and his theology, Oprah and her theology. Some would turn to the government and find the assistance and answers to their problems and difficulties there. Others might turn to drugs or alcohol or other self-help advisors as a means to cope and get the answers that they're longing for. But Jesus... But Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who manages it all and who has all authority, he says to us in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, he says, Come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. The context of that passage here that Jesus says come to me is that he was dealing with those who had been experiencing the oppression of the, of the Jewish laws and, and traditions and they were becoming overwhelmed and oppressed with all of that. But Jesus says come. And I think the invitation is there, the command is there to us to come to Jesus. All of you who are weary and heavy laden. And he says not only will I give you rest, but i will supply answers for you. And then the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, "And my God my God will supply every need of yours. Not wants, not desires, but my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus." You know, as a father, I love and do what I can to meet the needs of my kids and at times their desires to the best of my ability. But for any parent that is here, you know that our abilities to provide everything for our kids oftentimes falls far short. Because at least I don't know where they are at this very moment. I can guess where my kids are, but I don't know if they're in trouble, if they're hurt, I don't know what they might be struggling with or, or what more they might be feeling at this very moment. I can't see their hearts. I don't know their future. Right now, to the best of my understanding, they all seem good, with the exception of my granddaughter last Thursday who broke her leg. You see this little cute blonde, five years old, with a pink cast walking around with a little walker. Um, she was on a trampoline. She's well-supervised. But accidents happen and she broke her tibia, ended up in the hospital, not a stay in the hospital, but to prompt care, and they put a cast on it. And you know, could we have been there? Maybe. Was she well supervised? Yeah. But you know, as a a grandfather, and I know for for Aaron and Cody as they were dealing with all of this, they, they would have liked to have been there in that very moment to stop what could have potentially happened. But you see, those things happen. And we always can't be there as as parents. But you know what? It's totally different. Totally different with Jesus Christ, with our Heavenly Father. You see, our Heavenly Father is far better than any earthly father in knowing what our needs are. Our Heavenly Father knows everything about us, where we are at this very moment. And where we will be tomorrow. He knows us inside and out. He sees every struggle. He sees every hurt. He knows everything about us. He sees every need. And he's there to respond to us as a loving father according to what is best for us and for his glory. And so when we're stuck, as a Roman centurion was, let's take our struggles. Let's take our needs to the one who is best able to meet the needs that we have and to come alongside of us in the midst of our struggles. I love what David wrote in Psalm 121 verses 1 through 5. For where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is your keeper. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He is always there. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. And so what are you struggling with this morning? When you came in here this morning... What's been weighing you down? What's been crushing to you and your soul? What are you struggling with? And what is causing you great heartache, despair, or hopelessness? Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. He cares for you. And so as we continue in the story here, the Jewish elders, notice verses 4 and 5. And so the centurion sent them. Sent the elders of the Jews asking Jesus to come and heal his servant in verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him. And they pleaded earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Again, a, a rather unusual man. Not your average Roman centurion what's interesting here is that the jewish elders thought so highly of this of this roman soldier and that was so incredibly unusual i mean roman occupation was a very real situation in israel not appreciated not welcomed by the jews because they were a foreign pagan government occupying their promised land the roman soldiers were placed in towns and cities and Regions of Israel, primarily to do two things. Keep the peace and make sure the taxes were collected. And so they were there as a policing presence, not always welcomed or appreciated. You see, everything that could have made this Roman centurion hated by the Jews was a reality. But this man was different. The Jews considered him worthy a worthy man, a man who loved their nation, he seemed to understand something about their God even more than the Jewish elders did. He even built their synagogue. Again, amazing, incredible. He won their favor, and he won their affection. And so on behalf of this Roman soldier, these Jewish elders went to Jesus. But what's so curious about what we have going on here is that these Jewish elders appeal to Jesus on the basis of the deserving nature of this Roman centurion. But think about it. That's how the Jews lived their lives. That's how they lived their religion. They saw their supposed righteousness, their good works. Their rule keeping, their ceremonial observances as deserving of God's blessing and goodness and favor. I mean, they felt that Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, was obligated to them because of their birthright and because of their religion and the rules that they kept. And so that's how they approached Jesus on behalf of the centurion's needs. They felt that this Roman soldier deserved this miracle, that he merited Jesus' help. And friends, that's where we want to be very careful as we approach Christ with our needs, with our struggles. We can have a tendency to to try, I think, and negotiate with God when we're struggling in dealing with something huge in our lives that we can maybe try to bargain with God as we approach Him with something that we desperately need or want. We may think God owes us His favor because we have been such good churchgoers here every Sunday. We've been faithful givers and tithers. We're reading our Bibles daily. We're serving regularly. We're sharing Jesus with others. We're, We're reaching out and helping the poor. We've checked all of the religious boxes of righteousness And we believe God owes us something. But the reality is, friends, God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. You see, the mindset of, God, you owe me because, and you fill in the blank. I think is the essence of pride and arrogance, believing that we know best as we engage the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of everything, the one whose whose ways are higher and greater. The Lord who said in Isaiah chapter 46 of himself, he says, I am God and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand and I will accomplish. I will accomplish my purpose. I mean, who are we to approach God in such an arrogant, conceited way? I find it interesting that as these Jewish elders came to Jesus believing that this Roman centurion was was worthy and merited his favor, that Jesus didn't challenge or condemn the the Jewish elders in this moment for the way they approached him. He does that later. And so how do we come to Jesus with our struggles? How do we come to Jesus with our struggles? That's the second point. Have faith. Have faith in Jesus' ability to heal anywhere, anytime. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. We read there, And Jesus went with them, that's the elders, and he was not far from the house. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Get this. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I... I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. He says, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The soldier he seemed to know much more about the works, the acts, and the ways of God than the Jewish elders did. And he saw Jesus as the representative God of the Old Testament scriptures. And how did he reach out to Jesus? Humbly. Respectfully. Trusting in Jesus' full authority. Not demanding. Not feeling as if he merited or deserved Jesus' attention, but he approached Jesus humbly, respectfully, trusting in the full authority of Jesus Christ. What we see in this soldier is great love for others, his servant, a love for the Jewish people that he was responsible for and in charge over, a great love for the nation, a love for the God of the Jews. And then this incredible devotion to God and to the truth of God is indicated by his amazing contribution with the building of the synagogue. Phenomenal. Incredible. And so when the centurion heard that Jesus was coming, he sent word to him saying, I'm not worthy. And again, notice the contrast with what the Jews said. The Jews said he is worthy, but the soldier said, I am not worthy. He says, I will not presume on you. He said, simply speak the word and my servant will be healed. Incredible. I think the soldier was saying essentially this, and as I've paraphrased it, I think the soldier was saying, you know what, I understand authority. I understand design sovereignty. I understand what it means to be in charge and have power and have authority and the right for that. I understand what it means to speak, and it happens. I do that all the time in my little world here in Capernaum. And I understand the authority. I understand the authority, Jesus, that you have over the whole realm of life and death. The soldier was saying, you are God. You are the Lord. Just simply speak, and it will be done. I mean, wow, talk about a depth of faith a depth of understanding of the authority and the divine power of Jesus. I think as that soldier thought about Jesus coming to his house after he had sent the Jewish elders, I think he was also struck with a great sense of Jesus' holiness and his his own unholiness. I think there was a deep and humble and contrite demeanor, a heart that was surrendered to God David writes of this in Psalm 51, 17, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The soldier had great love, great generosity, great devotion to God, a commitment to the truth of God and to the people of God, great humility, genuine contrition, and there you have an example of great faith. And so when we approach God that way, he's eager to respond to our struggles, our hurts, our needs, concerns, that he might be glorified. Notice verse 9. Well, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. He marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He marveled. Jesus was awestruck. Taken back. He was amazed. The only other time that we ever have Jesus' words recorded where he marveled at someone was in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, when Jesus marveled at the unbelief of the people of his own town in Nazareth. The Jews who had been looking for their promised Messiah couldn't see Jesus as the anointed one. Yet this Gentile did. He understood. This Gentile understood the need to totally depend upon Jesus' power and authority. And that Jesus could do what to him seemed impossible. That's why Jesus was amazed and declared to those with him that he had not seen faith like this. And all of Israel hadn't seen it. And that's why Jesus was amazed. What I also find interesting here is that there's no record Of Jesus saying anything no other words spoken and then we read in verse 10 and when those who had been sent returned to the house they found the servant well healed Jesus ability to heal anywhere anytime all authority so what about physical healing today Does God heal? And when we pray, can healing come? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. To say that God does not, will not, or cannot heal sickness and disease is a denial of the biblical teachings of the scriptures and a denial of God's power and authority. He has all authority. All authority. You see friends, we are encouraged to pray for healing. James chapter 5 makes that clear. But realize, understand any physical healing that we may experience it's only temporary. Do you think about that? It's only temporary. It doesn't last. Everyone eventually grows old and dies. So any healing that we might experience, any relief from the pain or the suffering, it's only temporary. Because we will eventually die. And every morning I get up, every year I get older, I'm feeling more aches and pains and hurts and all of that stuff. And you know what? It's just a part of growing old. It's a part of us living in this broken, sin-cursed world. You know, realize also, That not every prayer that is prayed for physical healing is answered. Instead, God can and does use the sickness and suffering to glorify himself and accomplish his purpose in this broken world. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he prayed for his own healing. He was given a thorn in the flesh and thankfully we don't know what that problem was. We don't know what that sickness, that ailment, that hurt was. But three times he prayed, and God said to Paul, he said, hey, man, ain't going to happen. I love you. I have power and authority to, to answer your prayer. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, what happens to your body, your physical body, is not nearly as important as what happens to your soul. And the transformation that might not come if it were not for the sickness or the suffering that we experience. Because what the reality is, that the sickness, the suffering, the hurt, the heartache, oftentimes puts us in a place of dependence upon Christ in ways that we might not otherwise depend upon him. And that's such an important reality that we have to understand. Yes, it would be great to not have to deal with some of the sickness, the hurts, and the heartache that we experience. But God, in his unfolding plan of redemption and and much broader purposes in this world, is allowing that to come into our lives For a much bigger purpose. And a purpose that we may not understand until we get to the other side into heaven. You see, I've realized, and as many of you have, I think, in 2 Corinthians 1. That we're told that God is the God of all comfort. He provides for us. That's why when we pray for healing. And we should pray for healing. For ourselves or for someone that we love. Pray specifically pray confidently pray passionately but pray for God's will and purposes to be known that was how Jesus prayed in the garden as the perfect prayer he cried out to God in, in the garden of Gethsemane and said Lord let this cup pass from me I long to have it removed I do not want to have to go through the suffering the hurt the heartache and the pain But God said, no. And Jesus said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. You see, Jesus was surrendering his will and his desires to his heavenly Father. He longed for healing and relief from the suffering that he was about to experience. But the Father had a much bigger plan and purpose in mind. A plan which was perfect, good, and best. And that included suffering for my sin for your sin and i'm thankful for the suffering that jesus went through otherwise we wouldn't be here today with the opportunity to know that our sins are forgiven and have the hope of heaven i remember when i was first diagnosed with leukemia back on march 10th of 2011 seems like a long time ago i had gone in to have some blood work done for minor surgery and a couple of days later i got a call from the nurse and she said i needed to meet with my primary care doctor to discuss something that that they had found uh, i didn't think too much of it at the time and when i met with my doctor who had been a friend for 20 years uh, i could sense when i walked into the exam room that he was very concerned about something and he said kent i said i'm sorry to have to tell you this but it appears that you have hairy cell leukemia so I've contacted an exceptional oncologist who specializes in blood cancers and he'll be in contact with you. Not the news I was expecting. Many here today, many here today, many of you here today have experienced the same shocking news, whether it's cancer, brain tumor, other devastating kind of diagnoses. We prayed together, shared a few tears, and I went out to my car and I sat there. Sat there wondering what this all meant. The emotions were raw, the feelings were confusing, and I was crying out to God. I was saying, Lord, what is going on? I don't get it. This can't be happening. I've dedicated my life to serving you, and now this. Lord, please help me understand. Well, I started up the car to head home to tell Becky what I'd found out, and and on the radio at that very moment, that very moment, Carrie Job's song, Healer, was playing. I can remember it as clear in this moment as then. Some of the words to that song were, you hold my every moment. You calm my raging seas. You walk with me through fire and heal all my diseases. I trust in you. And I believe you're my portion. I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you are all I need. I trust you. I believe you are my healer. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold my world in your hands. Nothing is impossible for you. And It was at that moment I could sense God saying to me, Kent, I've got this. I've got this. Trust me. You've trusted me for so much over the years. Trust me now for this. And I was reminded of the promise of Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And God provided his peace and his grace through every single treatment for the leukemia and then again the shocking diagnosis and treatments for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma twice all in remission at this time you know since my diagnosis of cancer I've constantly prayed for healing and for God's to provide but you know what more than healing my prayer has been Lord I know you have all authority you have all power All power over disease and sickness. But God, I long for your will, and may I accept it. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Because your will, your purposes, your plan is good. It's perfect. Always best for me. And I want to keep trusting you. So let me say to you from someone who knows, And many that are here today who would also say the same thing. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus with your struggles, no matter what they are. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus' ability to heal and work in your life anywhere, anytime. God never wastes our suffering. It's never for nothing. He's mighty to save. He will quiet your heart. He is rejoicing over you. And each day, each day comes to us as a gift from the gracious hand of God. Whether it's in the last day of a short life or the first day of a long, healthy life, whether it's whatever we're going through, living in the reality that each day is a gift, realize this does not mean life is fair or that we are shielded from all of the present consequences of sin and death, we're not. God does not owe us a certain number of days or years. But Christ promised to never leave us, never forsake us. Christ never promised us the American dream, a comfortable retirement. Or that we will soak in all the expected blessings of what we think is a normal life. Each day is a gift. Each year is a gift. Each decade for each of us is a gift that comes graciously from God's hand, not from our entitlement to live a normal life or a lifespan. The abundant life that Jesus told that we could have in John 10.10 10 offers us is not, is not measured by the length of this life, but by the faithfulness Of the years that we live. God wants to work in powerful ways. And so that takes us to the third point. Watch God work. Allowing God's will to be fulfilled. Not only does Jesus have authority and power over sickness and disease. But he also has power and authority over death. Notice verses 11, 12, and 13. It says, Soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she saw, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Do not weep. We don't know what happened to this only son of a woman who lived in the town, which is about 20 miles southwest of Capernaum. What we do know is that twice death has now reached into this family's life. Twice. First her husband, and now her only son. We're told that there was a large crowd that was following Jesus. And as they entered the town through the main gate, there was also a large crowd of mourners that typically followed those in the the funeral. As someone has said, there are no unexpected coincidences God always has a plan and always has a purpose. And these two very large crowds, hundreds, could have been thousands, were there and they met. God has a divine purpose. And the purpose here is to show his authority over death. You know, when Jesus encounters his funeral possession, he sees the mother. And I think he sees her desperation. He sees her tears. He feels her pain. And the text says that he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Literally, Jesus' heart went out to her. The words weren't spoken rudely. They weren't spoken harshly. They were spoken with great gentleness and love, with compassion. We're told, I'm sure, that this mother, in the midst of her struggles, was crying out to God for help, not knowing what her days ahead were going to be like. Here she was without a husband and now without her only son. And what I so appreciate about this passage here is the reality of God's care, the reality of his concern and compassion when we're struggling, when we're hurting and desperate. He sees our tears. He sees our times of desperation. He feels our pain and he will work. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then he came, that's Jesus, up to and touched the bier. And the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus gave him to his mother. No one came to Jesus asking him to do anything. But Jesus would use this opportunity to show compassion and bring glory to God. And show that he even has authority over not only sickness, but authority over death. Jesus approaches the, the bier. It's, it's, it's not a closed coffin, as we might think, but a type of stretcher on which a body's being carried. And Jesus touches the stretcher. And he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he does. And the young man begins to speak, curious as to what he may have said. Great nap I had, strange dream saw a bright light. That's not what's important here. What is important is this miracle and the impact that it had on the crowds that were there that day. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, When he, in verse 16, fear seized them all, and what? They glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole Judea and all the surrounding country. Wow. Wow. God glorified Jesus, Jesus Christ's authority over death witnessed. That same authority, that exact same authority is as true today as it was some 2,000 years ago. Because let me ask you this Are you trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? I hope the answer is yes. Are you trusting Jesus for the resurrection? I hope the answer is yes. Trust him also with your sickness, your hurt, your heartache, your pain, because Jesus has all authority. I'm going to close with a story that you might be familiar with that I think best illustrates the core issue to accepting Jesus' authority to heal, and and that's the issue of trust. There was a man by the name of Charles Blondin, the famous French tightrope walker. He became famous in June of 1895 when he attempted to become the first person to cross on a tightrope stretched across a quarter of a mile Niagara Falls. He walked across 160 feet above the falls several times and each time with a different daring feat. Each time Blondin would stop and shout out to the audience, "Do you believe I can cross blindfolded? On a bike?" with a wheelbarrow and each time the crowd would enthusiastically shout yes you can you're the greatest type rope walker in the world and then with each amazing feat the crowd would increasingly applaud and then he said do you believe i can carry a person across in the wheelbarrow and the crowd enthusiastically shouted yes you can You're the greatest tightrope walker in the world. You can do anything. Legend has it. Blondin says, Okay, who will be my first volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) And you guessed it, no one volunteered. Trust was limited. So here's the deal, friends. The bottom line it's a matter of trust. Trust in the one who has all authority all power, and could do anything. Will you trust your life? Will you trust your hurts, your pain, your sickness, your disease, and even your death into his hands? He has all authority. So trust him. Let's pray.